Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. Welcome to episode 75 of the Design Freaks podcast. This is the show all about music industry, art, and design, the stories behind album sleeves, the freaks who design them. My name's Clarita. I am the host. I'm a graphic designer here in Seattle, Washington. That's how we say it. Today, I get to interview, this is a record for the show. I interview four people, three people all at one at any one time, but four people total, you'll see four members of a 90s Seattle band called Stymie. They're all involved in the intersection of design and music. Um, and they've just re released some of their recordings from back then, newly remastered and re beautifully repackaged and designed by Jeff Kleinsmith, one of the Stymie members, uh, who is VP of Creative at Sub Pop Records. He was on the show a couple years ago on episode 46. If you want to learn more about Jeff's work in particular, his time at the Rocket Magazine, all of that stuff, uh, check out that audio episode. It was recorded before I was doing videos. So in this episode, I talked to Adam Tepetalin, uh, who played guitar in the band, but who also authored the book Mud Ride, A Messy Trip Through the Grunge Explosion. Um, I talked to my friend James Halliday and for a minute toward the end of the episode, Shane Bastian, who was the singer of Stymie, steps in and joins the party. I keep saying foil and tolly and it's not. It's called toil and folly. And I know it's not going to show up probably. <laughs> it's it's my background anyway. Um, but the packaging is so nice. Yeah, you can get it at Bandcamp, and I'll have all the links in the show notes, and um, also at SeaTac Airport. Go to the Sub Pop store. I think it's really well um, put together as a whole package. I really love this episode. First of all, I love getting to know the sort of lesser-known bands of Seattle's very interesting music history. Secondly, I'm a big fan of storytelling and design. Um, I've taught a class about it. Uh, and I love how the packaging of this record tells the story um, through showing every uh, the flyer for every single show they've ever played. It's like a wallpaper that uh, Jeff kind of designed out of all the flyers. I mean, looking at these is so almost frustrating. It's like, what if we could get in a time machine and go watch Forced Entry, Sleep, and Stymie? at the off-ramp for $7 on Saturday, March 20th, probably 1993 or something. So yeah, four of the six members also worked at the Rocket magazine at one point back then. If you don't know about the Rocket, again, listen to Jeff's episode. If you're watching the YouTube, I'm going to put up a bunch of the imagery 
as visual components to what we're talking about, but I still got so much from them, like so many Dropbox folders. So um, I'm going to also try to put them up on my Instagram and that is at underscore design freaks podcast. And you can also find stuff at designfreakspodcast.com. Here's a photo in front of their house. So they sent me stuff after we recorded the backstories too. And so this one um, called Stymie Tour was taken in front of the house in the U District where Adam and Patrick lived and Stymie practiced in the basement. Sunny Day Real Estate lived a couple houses down. Interesting. Thanks for tuning in, friends. If you enjoy the show, please share with other vinyl and design freaks. Leave a five-star iTunes review uh, so other people can find it. Uh, like, review, subscribe, all of that. And for more music-related podcasts, check out ruinousmedia.com. And now, please enjoy my interview with Stymie. Jeff, James, Adam, and Shane. everybody. Hello. Hey, hey. Hello. Hi. This is half of Stymie. Am I correct? Yeah. That's yes. Right. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. This is so fun. Yeah. We're really excited. <laughs> Maybe we should do like, should we do like a work meeting and just go around? Uh, Adam, let's start with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm Adam Tepedlin and I played guitar in Stymie. Played. <laughs> I am a full-time freelance writer author and journalist as well yeah yes yes i've written some books and uh i've written lots of magazine articles i mostly write about music these days uh yeah james halliday uh played drums in stymie you know and if we ever reunite i'll play drums again uh <laughs> and uh i work as a creative director for a local uh branding design uh ad shop called tether I am Jeff Kleinsmith. I play guitar in Stymie. Um, I will play guitar in Stymie again when we get back together and tour. Um, I am VP of Creative at Sub Pop Records. It's a small record label here in Seattle. <laughs> Might have heard of it. <laughs> Maybe. So the other members not present are Patrick Barber, correct bass and vocals, uh, Shane, whose shop you're sitting in. Uh, if you, the viewers of the YouTube uh, video will see that Jeff and James are uh, in a, the same place, and that is Shane's shop called Sparkle Barn, correct? Sparkle Barn, yeah. Yep. The official Stymie Clubhouse. And Shane is actually here lurking in the background if we need to bring him in at any point. He's gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> um, Brian Taylor, um, and then, yeah, so those are the, the other three members. Mm -hmm. Am I missing mm -hmm. anybody? Nope. That's it. Yep. Lean sex that's, that's enough. Jeff did, <laughs> Jeff did some vocals as well. He didn't mention that, but he did some vocals as well. Some key vocal parts over the years. So sure. give him credit for that as well. And Patrick did some pretty, pretty nice backing vocals. Yeah, of course. Yes. He did a lot of vocals as well. Yeah. Backing vocals. And you all just had the record release party. Congratulations. When was your album uh, originally recorded? Well, um, back in when we first started, we uh, we somehow got on this unintentional schedule of recording about every six months. 
So the first session we recorded was um, in May of 1992. And basically, till we broke up, we kind of went in and did a demo about every six months. And so I think we ended up doing four or five different demos um, starting in 92. And the last one was after we broke up in 95, which wasn't really a demo. It was we were intending to record last couple of songs we really liked that we were going to put out on a single. So the others, uh, the other four uh, sessions were sort of like, you know, the first one was to introduce ourselves to people um, and get gigs. And then after that, I think, you know, we were wanting to put it out and or have somebody else put it out. And one of those demos was actually paid for by Thirsty Ear Records in New York City who were considering signing us. And they put up like a thousand bucks or whatever for the demo and and then they heard it <laughs> and said no thank you but they very kindly um gave the rights back to us so we just kind of amassed wow. all these songs that you know we thought at some point we would just put out on an album we put you know a few of them out on singles here and there but we figured at some point we would put out an album but then we broke up. And so that's why we ended up with all this material that we mm-hmm. had intended to release but never did. So Toil and Folly didn't exist before this, correct? Or Not as such. Not as such, no. It was just uh, songs that were sitting around that we'd never done anything with that we had wanted to do something with. We did have oh, a catalog so number all ready to go for it, though, back in the 95 or so. Okay, yeah. got it. Well, that's exciting. What what was the impetus? Was it um, COVID or like what brought it all together? A little bit. I mean, I tell Pretty you, much. for me, I, I moved out to the forest right after, right as COVID started, basically. And I remember like I would sit there and work like all day long for Sub Pop and I would look over at my my little cabinet and somehow when, you know, through the course of uh, moving, everything kind of got like re-upped and out of boxes. And on the shelf was all of the New Rage um, master tapes, including one shelf full of stymie stuff. And I kept looking at it. And I remember posting something on Instagram about Phil Eck, making a joke how Phil we we jump-started Phil Eck's career because after that he went, <laughs> on, we, he went on to do Modest Mouse, Built to Spill, like right after working with us. And so... I like got that out. I took some pictures of it, put it back, and then I was like, "Why? Why aren't we doing this? Like, we've there. It's all right here. There's nothing stopping us." And I think that's just sort of for me. That was the impetus to sort of get things rolling. Um, but I think we've always wanted to do this. We we talk about it all the time. I'm not sure what we're going to have to talk about in the future. Actually, after all over. <laughs> you're on tour. Probably. Why did we do that? No. <laughs> no. no way. Well, what now? Well, yeah. <laughs> do we have anything more? Well, actually, you know what? We didn't put everything out. So that we could do like what Mud Honey does is they put out an album, but they you know they record 25 songs. They put out an album with 14, and then like conveniently a year or however long later they've got a mini LP with all the stuff that they didn't put on the first album so you know we can have we probably have an EP's worth of material we could put on the next one well and I'm sure from this stymie army that there's some bootleg tapes out there you know that we can put together a pretty nifty live album there's already (laughs) there's already some clamoring for it like even you know (laughs) well plus Jeff has these um, demos of uh, songs that I think he and I were working on 
post breakup. I don't know, but I mean, obviously, they. they I'm, I'm joking. We would never actually. Um, they're not releasable quality, but there was like we were, you know, still writing stuff, but just. Well, we were using. We were mostly using those songs to uh, audition new players, you know, for the, <laughs> the revamped stymie that we were working on. Just me and Adam. No, we did the whole. <laughs> We did the whole like, oh yeah, we're breaking up, guys. We're breaking up, and then Jeff and I sneakily like just get another bunch of dudes to play. Oh my gosh, what are what are those tours that people do farewell tours over and over, and then they come back? Oh yeah, the who? That's always a good trick. Well, we're gonna follow the Kiss lead and uh, create stymie yeah. avatars, you know. So that's how we'll be doing our touring Aww. in perpetuity. Can we preserve me now? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds amazing. Um, I like Arbor Day. I don't know if that's because it's the one I've heard the most. Um, I think that's the one I used for um, Jeff's previous. Jeff was on episode 46 of this podcast as well in 2022, which seems so long ago now. I probably need new MP3s because the ones that I have, Jeff, are dated 2006. (laughs) We've had a remastered it. Yeah. Yeah. A guy named Adam Gonsalves in Telegraph in Portland uh, remastered all that. Sounds great, too, by the way. Yeah. I didn't really know what you could do with remastering these days. I just thought it was like, you know, sweeten up the guitar or something. But they can actually, it goes beyond that to almost to the point of like kind of remixing to a certain degree. They can raise certain um, vocals and whatever so he he did it was interesting i think and we did that during the pandemic which wouldn't have been my preference i would have rather um maybe we had one of us had been sitting in the studio with him if if i knew (laughs) you know how much he was going to do to it um i'm not displeased with it at all but i i kind of wish that maybe we would have had a little bit more input on some of the stuff but i didn't really know what mastering meant honestly but Mm -hmm. generally i'm pretty happy with it yeah great it sounds great i think so um and is there any just uh on the new rage subject who else uh were you involved with Uh, what else Um, did you work on with new rage well we kind of started with um this band called daddy hate box who had uh at that point, uh, the ex-drummer from Tad and the current vocalist from Coffin Break, the guitar player, oh. singer from Coffin Break, um, and um, they had put out a 7-inch on CZ Records that we really liked, and so we approached them, um, and I think they had done some recordings with Jack and Dino. They basically had, I think, something ready to go or we're going to record. Anyway, we didn't have to put the bill for the record, for the recording. And and they had six songs. And so we put that out. Um, And then from there, you know, it kind of alternated between um, some of our own bands, uh, like Fire Clown, which is what Mm -hmm. the three of us were in at the time. Right. And um, 
and then you know bands from that we knew or liked we put out unearth who were a seattle band mm-hmm. uh we put out a compilation of some uh, Seattle bands we liked with Unearth, Bone Cellar, Sleep Capsule, and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, put out a 7-inch by Alcohol Funny Car. We worked with Sweetwater, which was kind of weird. Um, that was weird. They approached wow. us because they, they had, like, Virgin Records had paid for them to record a demo, and then Virgin decided they didn't want to do anything. Kind of the same deal with the label that Stymie... Um, worked with uh in the sense that virgin said here's the demo we don't want to do anything with it and it was like it it was like an album quality demo really and they had um eight or nine songs and so they came to us which is very weird like yes we were a little tiny label and and they had these they had very big aspirations um and they we said well sure we'll work with you but we can't we don't have any money, you know, we can't pay for anything, you know, really at that point. And so we kind of worked a deal where they put up the money and they then would just get really high, you know, quote unquote royalties. We paid them back um, very generously. And during the whole, we only pressed a thousand CDs. And then when that was um, gone, they were, they were signing to Atlantic records. And so we just kind of let it go out of print uh and then they decided they decided unilaterally like about 10 years ago to bring it back in print without even talking to us about it they just put it up on the um digital streaming services anyway uh, but yeah we put out yeah you know a handful of different cool uh seattle bands that we liked so that daddy hate box that Daddy Haybox LP cover was the very first LP cover that I've ever that I ever did. Um, I remember working on that in no college, while I was in college. Yeah, like I typeset it all and secretly in class, and I, I tried to get credit for it, and I, they wouldn't let me have that. But <laughs> no um, way. But yeah, it was. I remember looking at like uh, a couple of Fluid records at the time, and like kind of doing this and then I kind of whatever I synthesized the fluid uh, design to sort of be the back it didn't look like that at all but that's kind of where that came from but is it, goes, it not that, the, it, the cover with the half split yeah. negative yeah, yeah. oh mm-hmm. it's cool I and that, that type is all like um you know press on type and I put it on a thing and oh. yeah it's yeah. Did not know what I was doing at the time, but it, it <laughs> so did you all all work at the Rocket together, or how did you? Is that how you met? Not how we met. No, college. Yeah, we all met at the University of Oregon. Yeah, I was from Eugene oh. and was playing in bands and through you know mutual friends kind of that musical orbit of the city you know i met uh adam and jeff pretty quickly you know i don't know when is that guys 86 87 mm-hmm. something like that yep yep yeah. 86 or 87 yep uh at one point adam and jeff were already playing in a band together and i think their band played with the band i was in and uh so you know, we just kept getting to know each other better and you know for too long uh adam and i started playing in a band jeff did uh cover for uh for that band and, uh, you know, at this point, we just you know, played together ever since. Uh, it was a band called Godbone. And, yeah, uh, that was it was Godbone. Just a, it was just, just a cassette. You can go ahead and show them, yeah. This is my first 
Ooh. First foray into music design. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> sort of. I mean, I did posters before that for, I mean, the band that, Adam, that James is talking about that we play, we, our band was called The Funeral Party. Um, Adam and I were in and we opened for James's band. So um, we all had a crush on James. I got to say, like he was a drummer <laughs> in a lot of different bands in town and super sweet and cute. And we were like, we want that guy in our band. <laughs> It's hard to find a good drummer. <laughs> That's why they're in a million bands, right, James? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly why. Yeah. <laughs> good drummers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that name, Funeral Party. Did we talk about this in your episode? I think we did. Maybe. That's such a good name. It's a funeral. It's a cure song. We were so into the cure. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was very, uh, as, as goth leaning as we could possibly make it with the combination of people we had. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, we were fully like the cure, the cult, all that kind of stuff. Bauhaus, um, joy Aww. division. I met Adam in a history of rock and roll class, actually. Um, that's like, that's where, and then he, there was a, the last day of class was held at my house. We all brought a record. It's our fam- favorite record at the time. We played it and remember Adam and I were like looking through my records and then he moved in. Um, that, that, <laughs> next, that next semester he moved in with us and uh, we had a drum set already set up and that's when funeral party started. That's awesome. Wait, was Ed and a then, drummer for Funeral Party? Ed, Ed Matthews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. How did you all end up in Seattle, by the way? Well, uh, look, for me, yeah, no. oh, God, I was going to say, for me, it, it really was the Seattle music, like, in, in large part. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wanted to move. I knew I wanted to move out of Eugene. I grew up in Corvallis, which is a small town, and then okay. Eugene's a slightly larger town. But I don't know. I just wanted to get out in the big city and I, I didn't want to do Portland and then Seattle music. I mean, sub pop was huge. Like Adam and I got pretty into it pretty early on. Um, I would go to house of records and, uh, buy basically any seven inch or anything that had a sub pop logo on it. Things that I didn't even know what they were. That kind of happened at the same time that I was switching over into graphic design at the university of Oregon. So Almost every one of my projects was music related. So I was doing like, you know, I was the arts guy, uh, art direct, the arts magazine art director. And then every project was either a record or a cassette or some version of yeah. some music, <laughs> some terrible music package. But I, I wanted, you know, I would go to House of Records, pick up all the sub pop stuff, but my true love was the rocket. Like I would pick up the rocket and I would just, it was a monthly at the time. And I would just try to make that thing last the entire month. And I would read almost every word of it, you know? And I would see, like, I started to make this connection between, like, Lisa Orth was working out the rocket, but then also laying out the Nirvana record. And then, you know, Art Chantry was working at the rocket, but working on sub-pop records. And so I wanted to move up to Seattle to work at the rocket. I mean, that was my big, that was my big dream. So that's what got me. Yeah, James and I finished... um university a little sooner um james sooner than me but um we he and i moved to um colorado briefly at my it was i want to do that because i i grown up in colorado and for some reason i had this inkling that i wanted to move back there because my brother lived there so i i asked him if he wanted to go along with me because 
we were both really into fly, fly fishing and it's great fly fishing in, in Colorado. So James is, you know, game. And so we went there and it's funny because like, uh, I think within a week of us arriving there in maybe October of, uh, 1989, uh, Nirvana played at this coffee house, uh, like two blocks away from where my brother lived, um, called Penny Lane. And so we're, we, you know, we heard, we knew of Nirvana. Um, I don't know. I think Bleach must have been out by then. Um, we were like stoked. I'd never actually seen them up uh, before. So we went and saw that. And that was uh, pretty amazing. And, and incredibly enough, six months later, we saw them again in Denver. And at that point, I'm pretty sure they were already playing stuff that would end up on, it was rough versions of stuff that would end up on Nevermind. But I know that the, the time between that first time we saw him at Penny Lane and then the play- time we saw him in Denver, they, it, they got like way better. Do you remember that, James? Is that your oh, impression as well? Yeah, vividly. I mean, as you said, Penny Lane, <clears throat> when, when I tell people the story, I, I tell them there were probably like a dozen people there, maybe 20 people, you know, I mean, yeah, it was yeah. really very much a, a coffee house. And I, I can't remember the name of the club where we saw them in Denver, but you know, it was a legit club, you know, and there was a good yeah. crowd. Uh, and as he was saying, I, I think you're right about some of the songs that ended up on Nevermind maybe being performed at that time. Chad Channing was still the drummer, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, know? yes. You know? But they had demoed some of that stuff with him. Um, so I definitely, I just remember, like, wow, they were uh, going in a different direction. The songs were super catchy, songs I'd never heard before. At that point, I just felt like I knew right away. So anyway, um, after nine months or whatever, I think he and I were just like, you know, I don't know, didn't really, just couldn't see a future there or whatever. And also I think there must've been some discussions with the, the other guys uh, uh, in Fire Clown because the three of us were in Fire Clown and we basically sort of, jet, when James and I moved away, Fire Clown kind of ended. And so I think mm-hmm. there was talk of like, well, hey, let's all move up to, to Seattle together and, and start up Fire Clown again. Because um, we had another friend that, we all kind of knew from Eugene and Jeff knew going back to Corvallis who lived up there and played guitar. And so we thought, well, we'll get him in the band and move up there. So it was, you know, I think we all realized that Seattle had a vibrant music scene and we thought, mm-hmm. you know, let's go be part of it. So that's, we all moved as a band. I think it was June say the band chemistry maybe wasn't always the best um uh our bass player got on my nerves in a big way uh and he still does regarding stymie uh, regarding fire clown Uh, so anyway i quit it i quit at one point um okay and uh they continued on with another guitar player for uh, a little while but then they broke up and then i don't know you know we just found our way back to each other again i honestly don't remember exactly how but you know look uh jeff and i were playing together i'm pretty sure of that and then of course we'd want james to play in our band and uh i think james was friends with shane the our singer who uh because 
Shane worked as a server at this um, bar, their restaurant that um, James frequented a lot. And I think they got to know each other there. And um, we heard Shane sing one time. I can't remember the circumstances. He was just jamming with some people. And we thought, we need that guy. And then we needed a bass player. And we knew the guys in Unearth. And we just asked Brian if he wanted to play bass for us in both bands. And he was into it. So we just started as a five-piece and then Patrick was added six months later because he was one of my roommates. Okay. Well, we also weirdly, though, with Fire Clown, kind of going back a little bit, we ended up <clears throat> adding a guitar player. Uh, this was before Adam left, named Brian Mabe, who I actually went to high school with and actually totally looked up to. He was two years older than me. And he was the coolest motherfucking punk rock dude ever. He had a shaved head and a leather jacket. I totally looked up to him. And somehow ended up in our band kind of weird mm-hmm. um and then we yeah we added another guitar player to replace adam and this guy sean tessier who was so incredibly good like, like weirdly didn't wasn't he didn't he know like all the chords that existed and played jazz, <laughs> jazz and stuff and i remember having a few practices with him and like I like I don't know what the fuck you're I don't even know what you're doing. I don't know where to put my fingers on the guitar so that I match up with what and we got a gig at Satyricon in Portland. And I, I wish we had video of it because it was probably the worst thing that's ever been at the Satyricon. Not because we don't didn't know we weren't decent at our jobs, but like it was such a and that's kind of when that all went. Yeah, um, it was a disaster. It was a real disaster. All really he nice people. He was playing people. some weird scales or what was going well, on he had, there? he had very good intentions. He was an amazing uh-huh. guitar player. Uh, totally knew what he was doing. It could be in, could have been in a band, like, like lead guitar of a great band. You know, he could have been in yeah. fucking Queensryche probably. Um, I just think I didn't, I know like five chords and I don't even okay. know where they are on the, you know. But you so, were singing in Fire Clown, so all you had oh, to true. Worry about that's, was singing. That's it true. Was, it was I, I feel like I was, was t- yeah, that's true. I was trying to teach him some stuff on guitar. That's right. You're right. I didn't even, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that uh, was common amongst all the bands that we've been in is, is that they always centered <clears throat> on being friends. You know, like we, we never put an ad in the rocket or somewhere else saying, looking for, you know, rock and roll singer with long hair, tight jeans, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we lucked into one with Shane, but he was already a friend. And, you know, as with Sean, uh, who we were just talking about, he was already a pretty good friend of mine, you know, and became friends of others. And as Jeff said, just an outstanding guitarist, a great guy. Talk about what's behind you guys. So we mentioned uh, or briefly earlier that you're in Shane's store in Ballard, Seattle, Washington, called uh, Sparkle Barn. It's a beautiful store. You just had your record release party there last Friday. It was really fun. And I got to see, and I've seen um, images, you know, digital images that Jeff sent me of the flyers and posters. But I love what you did with that black and white wall. Was that you, Jeff? That is uh, actually, that is us figuring out what we wanted to put on the dust sleeve of our. Oh, of our rec- that is the packaging. Of yes. our record. Okay. 
which is right here. I yes. think it's funny. Like, I feel like the record cover, we can talk about that later, but that came yeah, together. Yeah, let's talk about that. <clears throat> Fairly simple, fairly easily. But once we got into the inside, it was like, hey, this is kind of where we have, to, like, you know, our credits and all this. And now we're kind of telling the story. James had the brilliant idea of like, hey, doesn't this all kind of just tell the story? Like, this is yeah. our capsule of three to four years worth of shows that kind of just sum up the 90s, the clubs, the bands that we played with need you say more, you know, it was kind of that. Mm-hmm. So for that, I just, I actually just sent the image to Shane and I said, blow it up 48 inches by 48 inches and we'll put it on a wall behind us. So that's what that's that amazing. is. But it's basically every single, I mean, there might be one or two missing, but I think it's almost every um, show we've ever played. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Who close. kept that? Was that you, Jeff? Are you the archivist? I, uh, probably me and Adam are the, mm-hmm. we all are the archivists, but like, I think I collect it just cause I do graphic design, graphic yeah. design. Um, so I keep that stuff. Um, and they, I'm these also, were originally, also, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I'm just going to say that I also have a really hard time getting rid of anything. I'm probably <laughs> just incredibly, incredibly <laughs> sentimental. Um, so I literally have like almost everything that I've ever made for New Rage, for <laughs> Fire Clown, for Stymie and... Uh, you know, and like I've been made fun of for keeping all that stuff, but thank God I did because now 30 wow. years later, you know, it's and so when we put out that, that fire did. clown record that we're, we've been waiting <laughs> to do, no kidding. <laughs> I know, I was going to um, ask. But that was, that was James's idea. Just like this tells the whole story and it was, it was great. So it's really got a lot of mileage out of that. I love it. Yeah. It's so yeah. um, graphic and so pleasing to the eye. And, um, Jeff, can you open the record for the viewers to see um, and show the, how the packaging um, has the same print on it? And we'll talk about the cover. Yeah, while Jeff's doing that, I, I got a fanboy out a little bit. One of the uh, posters here is a show we played with Tree People, which was a mm-hmm. band at the time that I loved. And honestly, I probably only love even more now. Like, I, I still listen to the band. I absolutely love them. And uh, oh, wow. one That's of the guys awesome. in the band shared with me here in the last few days that uh, we had posted this image to Instagram, maybe the Stymie account, and mm-hmm. Tree People account reshared it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, a, that was a sweet fanboy moment to see this band that I absolutely love uh, repost that image. I love it. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it was reposted as one some guy from Stymie posted this. <laughs> no way. Which I love too. Um, I think in some ways we all really ch- inadvertently channeled, tried to channel some tree people mm-hmm. at times through our sound. Um, so sometimes advertently. <laughs> advertently, yeah. Let's 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 be honest. We all listen to t- the tons of tree people. I am not nearly as good of a guitar player as that. But anyway, here's that. Here's that. Here's the cover. Yeah. And then, Um, oh, I love the colors and the typesetting. That's Bitch Magnet Umber. Yeah. I call that. (laughs) Um, It's a nice nod to the the fact that there's a Bitch Magnet song on there from Umber. Right. And huge, you know, kind of a, I don't know. They they didn't really influence the sound of Stymie, I wouldn't wouldn't say. But um, big fans of the band, for sure. Yeah. I I think a lot of them were big fans of that band. The aesthetic and the approach, I would say, you know, they were kind of like this weird 
heavy band that wasn't like a heavy metal band, but they were heavy in their own yeah. way and just kind of but were weird. I always thought of them as sort of like this cross between, I don't know, like Big Black somehow and mm-hmm. like... Uh, Flint. Uh, yeah. There was just... Um, they were very... They were just unique, yeah. Anyway, but sorry, the, Jeff. No, no, it's okay. Uh, their album, Umber, is just... It's just an uncoated record that's all this color umber. Um, oh, I see. So it's that's like just one through. bit of type on it. Yep. Yeah, very cool. Very like it's you know you weren't sure what you were getting when you when you got that album cover, and then it was this heavy, weird like you know, um, as James described, um, which I kind of what is kind of what I always wanted from Stymie, you know. And mm-hmm. so like I think going back to like when we had to make an album cover for this record, this, you know, this guy, um, I wanted to sort of channel that feeling from then putting something just like rant, not random, but like, Hey, this is just weird enough to work kind of thing. You know, and that was sort of like the art direction back then. It was also very homoerotic. If you really look at, I put up all this whole, whole thing. It's like, it's very homoerotic, inadvertently. <laughs> so, like, I wanted to put myself back in this place of, like, uh, like, what would Stymie do now? Not, like, I didn't want it to be a retro piece and try to, like, put ourselves back in that space. But, like, what would we do now if we were putting out a record? So that's kind of where that comes from. So that's the back. It's, well, it's and it, but a, it looks like also iconic Jeff Kleinsmith as well. Yeah. I don't know about that, but I, I would love it if it did because I'm, yes. It looks thank like you your posters more, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very much yeah. influenced by the same thing. And this was one of those projects mm-hmm. where I didn't have the fucking bands telling me what to do. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a little joke about, yeah, anyway. Um, anyway, so this is, this is the inside of that record. Uh, that's all, the, all those posters just blown up just like that. And then all and the then credits. These credits were designed by you and Art Chantry, correct? Okay. Definitely cool. one, maybe two. I think he might have done this one. He might have done two. He did the Silkworm Engine Kid one where there's like the scary or whatever. I don't know what it said there, but amazing or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's this one right here. <clears throat> this guy. And then he also did this one down here. This, this uh, cutoff one. It's also Silkworm, Stymie, and Engine Kid. Silkworm, Stymie, Engine Kid. We probably could have gone on tour together. We played a number <laughs> of times together. Um, Art Chantry yeah. did do a couple of things for us. He also did an, the Unearth CD for us uh, because we worked with him at the Rocket back then. Yeah. And that's what he did. So we asked him kindly to do a couple of things for us. So I bet he saw us play when we opened for the mono men at the rocket party. That's probably yeah, that's it. probably it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the crossover there. Right. scene that existed um in let's say 87 88 89 a lot of those dudes are still around you know they're either in bands or going to shows you go to mud honey show now and you see half of them so uh you know i kind of like that i have no complaint about that i like that they're 
that there's still, you know, Seattle's kept him here. Um, so, you know, I kind of have, even though Seattle has changed dramatically, um, I have a lot of love and nostalgia for the area and from that, from that era. I mean, how could you not? It was yeah. such an exciting, fun time to be in Seattle. We all have so many amazing stories from that era. You know, James, yeah. uh, and I'm not sure maybe Jeff was, was at that Nirvana record release party where the dude where Kurt Cobain got kicked out of his own party, you know? And, um, I, I was, I was actually, I remember, I don't, I don't know if James New Year's Eve, the first New Year's Eve, we were all in Seattle. It was 1990. We were down at the, um, Pike place market. Um, and I think we were intending to go to this show at this, um, venue called red farm films. And it was like Tad and skin yard were playing Wow. And so we go to the door and they're like sold out. And for some reason, half of our party goes, okay, turns around and leaves. The other half of our party just walks right past the person who said sold out. <laughs> and I was, I was one of the people that did. I think I know Carl did. Maybe you did too, James. But, um, no, I didn't. But, uh, I, was, I was there and I turned around. <laughs> I, that would have been I, me. I went in. And I was like, one of my f- fondest memories of Seattle is, uh, w- when Skinyard was playing, I was right up front, and Tad's head, Tad's giant head, hit me in the jaw, and I didn't realize at the time, but um, I was bleeding, and I just was, you know, I'd had a few beers, yeah, and it was only later that I realized I had blood going down the front of my shirt, and uh, <clears throat> Carl, who was the um, fire clown bass player, I definitely know that he was with me, but he was no. so intoxicated that I think he. <laughs> I don't really. I'm not sure how he got home to the apartment he was living with James in. I I I, I, I heard how. stories. I I don't remember. Someone drove him like. No, we were on know. a bus. He was on a bus with me and Katie on all the way back. Oh. But yeah, uh, we had anyway. to se- separate from him a little bit. Oh, I was on that bus. <laughs> were you? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. The, I didn't want to digress too much, but that to me is like part of the my personal nostalgia for that. Seattle, because that, in a lot of ways, I think, I don't know, it was just such great times. I think I can see anyone, you know, who's there during that era would have great nostalgia for it. I I can't see how it would be otherwise. I'm jealous I wasn't here, but you all have done such amazing things since then. It's not like anyone's (laughs) in danger of getting stuck there, but. Yeah. One of the things. It was just fun. Sorry, go ahead. you know, you hear about the Seattle freeze a lot. Like mm-hmm. it, people will move here and find it difficult to find friends. And I, mm-hmm. I never experienced that because we moved. We all moved up together, so we yeah. all had this amazing group of <laughs> friends. If like if I wasn't doing something with James, I was with Adam and Adam and yeah. Carl, and you know. So like, I never really experienced that. And, and in addition to our band, tons of our other friends kind of all moved up right around that same time. So. Lots of great memories up here, for sure. Yeah, 100%. And, and I, I would say, you know, at the time we moved up, which was, as Adam was saying, 90, the Seattle music scene was still small enough that, like, you would show up at shows and, and you know, all the all the people who went on to become big rock stars would be at those shows, you know. And, you know, I remember getting a chance to meet some of those guys because we had a mutual friend and they were all as down to earth and as welcoming as could be. Um, so... It, uh, it it definitely made it really easy to assimilate because it felt like you were part of a shared thing, right? You know, you were all really passionate about music. 
you were all kind of working your way up to varying degrees of success, um, but it made for a, a really wonderful sense of community. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's how it should be, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I wanted to show the audience wh what's behind you, Jeff, if you want to show Let's the posters. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can tell what that is behind me. Give us a tour. But this, this right there is a superconductor poster <laughs> that um, I just, I blew this up off of the back. It was like a little, I don't know, like a gay porno mag that I just was, I don't know. It was like at the rocket. I don't even know if it was mine or not. Maybe. But, <laughs> of course um, it was yours. I blew it up, you know, and I did all my posters pretty small, the size, maybe smaller than the size of a laptop, right? Just on little boards that I cut out from rocket boards. Um, and then I blew it up. And our BSK blew it up for me and printed it. And then Shane went walking around town, Capitol Hill, putting them up. And people were yelling at him from across the street. And so from really far away, you can tell what it is. It's, you know what it is, right? Yep. Um, I, I didn't. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? I knew I was putting a penis and balls on a poster, but I didn't know that it was going to turn out quite like that. So I'm happy to say. It was kind of appropriate just because there were so many penises in Superconductor because there was yeah. like seven dudes in the band. That's, that was the whole point. I did another one. It's not on here right now. It's one. It's the one over here. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, this is just... This is just some stuff like <clears throat> played with logos and stickers. And, wow, uh, cute. Um, those are all the singles right there. <clears throat> this is our, Whoa. this is when, this is like the craziest thing in the whole world, honestly, that we mm -hmm. opened for Ace Freely. Like, right? Like, put that into some sort of perspective for a second. Like, <laughs> like our, my, six, my sixth grade <clears throat> self walking down the hall. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's just some more stuff. This is our farewell, farewell. Uh, I'm so bad at this. Can you see that? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, we I can bar. see it. We yeah, we made a, a fancy. Yeah. We made a fancy invite for our final show. <laughs> yeah. See our last show. <laughs> I think we got a label rejection letter up on that wall somewhere too. Yes, oh, yeah. I read yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that one. It's like they. Yeah. It's pretty. I cool. think I have one too. Uh, I can't remember the label, but I think I have one or two as well. Yeah. This is right here. Am I doing this right? Oh my god! That is an email from Adam from 1995 that I kept, of course, printed it out and kept. I printed out an email and kept it, um, but it's basically um, <laughs> all the credits. It's because <laughs> I'm 97 years old. Um, it's all the credits for what would have been uh, the record, um, the actual record that we're looking at here. Um, but then it just never right. materialized. That's funny. Yeah, I remember doing that. Uh, it was overly uh, meticulous. I do recall that. Like, I'm, I'm the one that gets into like, okay, well, this was recorded by this person, but mixed by this person on this date, you know, in this studio. And yeah, blah, 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 blah. Adams are... Um, official historian yeah yeah he's really good at it as you can tell too he can remember everything I can't great remember memories all yeah amongst all of you i think i can't remember i'm learning a lot Shit. about stymie right now aren't you? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm finding out about a lot all, of cool shows. Wow, we did. We recorded five times. Wow. <laughs> also, I was the person who uh, had to stay till 2 a.m. in the uh, in the morning at the end of the gig to collect the money after those guys had all gone wherever they were going to oh. go. I was always the one who did that, got the yeah. big wad of cash at the end, and they trusted me to put it in the bank account, which I did, and we basically were very self-sustaining during our years. We never had to take any uh, – there was no out-of-pocket money for any of our recording sessions. It was all paid for by gigs, which is nice, you know, um, and we were good about instead of just, you know – pissing the money away on beer and, you know, food or whatever. We would just actually just reinvest it in the band. And that all paid for all those gigs. This is here, you have full circle. All those gigs on that poster paid for the record, the recordings basically yeah. back in yeah. the day. So, so yeah. Adam would stay, stay after for the cash after the bash. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Cash <laughs> after the bash. So your exactly. high school, your title was true. Yes, that's most dependable. Most exactly. dependable. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's no question. <laughs> you know, Adam was certainly the most responsible and I think, you know, so dedicated to it. Had certain other people been left to collect the money, it would have all ended up, you know, yeah, hash after the bash at the off ramp. Oh, my God. They would not have ended up uh, resulting in any recordings. Or we would have just said, fuck it, I want to go home. They can keep the money. What is that? What is that? $40? <laughs> I've heard of that. Happening. No, you know, we, we, um, we got on some, I think, uh, because, uh, well, it was helped by the fact that Jeff did graphic design for some of these um, venues. And so we would get put on these bills um, that were, uh, let's say, maybe not, we weren't ideally um, matched with, uh, but they would be like these metal bands that drew tons of people. And so uh, they'd sell the place out and, uh, you know, we'd be on for like half an hour and we, you know, our cut would be like 10%. But it'd be like 350 bucks at the end of the night, you know? And so, fine, you know, I don't think anyone there really liked us that much as far as like, you know, we didn't get a big crowd reaction. We were going on first, but we ended up getting a good chunk of change for us, you know, at the end of the evening. So, um, yeah, we, we got some good paying gigs as far as that That's went. really so. good for back then. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was shocked sometimes. I mean, it was it was weird. Some of the gigs that you know we opened for forced entry twice. Yeah, you know, that's one of the, that's what I'm talking about. Those yeah, are good yeah. paying gigs. Yeah. Well, we also knew some of the the promoters as well. Like Robin, I think Robin put us on a lot of gigs, didn't she? And maybe Steve Moriarty put us on some gigs. I worked for uh, Robin um, almost exclusively there. Lobotomy Talent Group. They she put right, on okay. tons of shows. Her big main um, uh, venue was OK Hotel, so I did a lot of stuff for OK Hotel. She was also really good friends with Gits, and I did all the Gits stuff, and so that kind of just leaked out. And you know, Adam and I and James, like we got we kind of befriended Daniel House in the very beginning too. So some of those bands, mm -hmm. and just kind of worked out that way. I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, we were so likable. People just wanted to see us. I mean, look at us. Look how cute and likable we are. Of course. Oh my gosh. People just no wanted us on their on their bill. You know. Yeah. Plus, with, with me and the band, they knew we would show up on time, yeah. and we would have our shit together. <laughs> speaking oh, of, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of like 
the complete opposite. I was I was in the car. We played Bumbershoot once to like 500 people. I swear it was 500 people. <gasps> Signed autographs, the whole deal. Wow. I was. We loaded up all the vehicles. We were in traffic on a Saturday afternoon to go to this, to load in at Bumbershoot. And I go, fuck, I don't have my guitar. I literally <laughs> left, left my guitar at the... Total Jeff, total Jeff. So, so I, I wore. So Adam brought multiple guitars and was on time and had his guitars. So I, I, I had this tiny strap uh, and this his second guitar that I couldn't keep in that, tune. That that's explains. Why, it. That's why I'm yeah. playing like this. I look like yeah, you know, I'm this giant. Go ahead. Yeah, I was looking at that picture the other day, going, "I don't. When did Jeff have that SG? And that, that's right. That's my that's my Epiphone SG that you were playing." And yeah, the whole okay. like for That's weeks, weird. for weeks before that bummer shoot gig too. I was like, dude, this is my this is my chance. This is this is when I blow up, and then I show up without my guitar. So. Well, maybe you're more of a visual artist after all. <laughs> Definitely. I, I'm gonna have to exit stage okay. left here. Is there a way we, I can do we're that? We're already without, at an, like... we're already at an hour, so I was gonna try to start wrapping it up here. So if you want to go first, Adam. Can you you want to tell people where they can buy your book? Um, yes, um, so I yeah, Mudride um, is available at all you know indie bookstores um, and through obviously like online retailers like um, Barnes and Noble and Amazon makes a great gift. Um, <laughs> so yeah, thank you for having me on and um, thank you for it joining was me. Great chatting yeah. about all this and it's great to see you guys as well bye at some point before we all sign up we got to have yeah. shane at least kind of parade oh definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 hey. of course <laughs> um i guess we're gonna stick around to pick up the cash after the bash hey look who it is you. okay we, there's shane hi shane. can you hear me <laughs> that's our I um, you great super cute lead singer hi clarita hi how are you? Can you hear me? Oh, you don't right, have headphones. Thanks for coming by. Thank you for having Very me. Good. What do you want to say? What do you want to say about Stymie? Yeah, it's a long story. Well, the memory is now, right? These are all friends of my Aww. brothers, right? We're really tight sincerely, and nobody's dead, and uh, nobody's, uh, you know, drug-addled or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, it's it's been a positive thing, you know, 30 years in the making somehow. I love it. And I loved meeting everyone that was there on Friday. And I should have gotten a group photo. I don't know why I didn't. Oh, <laughs> we got in big trouble for that. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Adam, uh, yeah. We had one thing to do and we did not do it. I think we were just uh, present, you know, yeah. and, you know, accidentally present. So. Well, at least take a selfie together now and send that to me with the three of you. <laughs> should we? Yeah. All right. All right. I don't know Does if Adam, you want to. Adam take off? He had to run. Yeah. We'll get something for you. Yeah, no, these guys, you know, they, we met, you know, we were in our early 20s. You guys, I, I'm sure you've covered a lot of material. I've been in the green room uh, taking a nap, basically, for the last <laughs> hour. Um, Good for you. Uh, but it was like, it, when I met these guys, they all were, you know, it was a fun thing to do with friends, right? And when we started playing music together, it's literally the kind of music I love. So hard, heavy, emotional, sort of a kind of a diverse, you know, group of personalities and tastes, and it just kind of... You know, you listen to music or watch movies that you haven't seen in a long time, and you go, oh, huh, why did I like that? This 
it's kind of the opposite of that, in my opinion. I think these guys kind of agree with like, oh, we kind of like that music still. It holds up. Maybe not 100%, uh, but enough. I love, like... I love the record. I think it's awesome. Uh, thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. It's fun. Yeah. It's, uh, there were a lot of different influences going on. You know, I mean, there were commonalities for sure with respect to bands that we loved. But there were also, you know, we love different bands to different degrees. And, and I think it all kind of came together into this, this amalgamation, which generally I think worked all right. It's always a, a unique expression, even if you are like, you know, even if I hear the Polvo guitar or, you know, yeah. a little bit like it's still you guys. Yeah. Well, and sometimes, you know, I think, you know, the drummer might be pulling influences from one band and the guitarist are pulling influences oh. from another band and, you know, and Shane pulling influences from yet another band. So, you know, but they all would generally, you know, harmonize in a pretty reasonable way. Who were your favorite Shane back then? Back in the, like the, the early nineties, the heyday of the yeah. grunge era and so forth. Well, I mean, I grew up, I grew up out in the boonies, right? So I didn't, I think unlike these guys, I didn't have access to record stores until I got to college. So I, you know, moved, went to UW, okay. had a super fun job up on Capitol Hill. That's kind of how I, it all started, meeting James and, and Jeff and so forth. It sort of spiraled from there. But the music I grew up with was hard rock, metal. Okay. It was continuous soft hits of the 70s in the back <laughs> of the big blue station wagon also. And I think we all, you know, America, yeah. whatever, yeah. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you know, yeah. all of that sort of melody uh, kind. Um, but, you know, on the opposite spectrum, like Ronnie James Dio is, I can't deny that. Yeah. Is that what made you want to start singing? Spirit Animal, you know, and then you got Peter Cetera era Chicago. So I mean, it's uh -huh. all over the place. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, but in the early 90s, I think, you know, what what's we've kind of tapped into, I think, accidentally is the idea that, you know, there were four or five big bands that got scraped off the top there, right? Mm -hmm. Early 90s. But there was just such a, you know, deep waters of really great bands that we would see all the time, like every night. You know, mm -hmm. you'd get the rocket. And you'd start circling the days and the shows and, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it could be any night of the week. And so mm -hmm. you could just put yourself out there and that's kind of how it worked. And we didn't have any phones and we, I don't know how we ended up meeting <laughs> each other. How would you meet at the off ramp to see, <laughs> you know, the fluid or how did that happen? Yeah. Shane, yeah. I think that's such a great point, you know, that, um, of course, everybody knows about the bands that went supernova, you know, out of Seattle in the early to mid nineties. But there were so many great bands that unless you were part of that scene or you're just a serious hardcore, you know, early 90s music band that most people don't know about, there were really terrific bands, you know, like these, these are the bands that, you know, will be probably lost to history. But at the time were truly some of my favorites, you know, that um, sometimes we'd get to know them, sometimes not. Sometimes we share stages with them, sometimes not. But there really were countless bands, excellent bands that, um, you know, just never, to my opinion, at least, got their, got their full due. You're talking about sweaty nipples, right? Mm. <laughs> just I, sweaty these nipples. band names are about. out of control. <laughs> <laughs> no, but on a serious note, something like Silkworm is a great example. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so, um, yeah, it's so nice to followers. see you again. Thank you so much. Nice to see you. Sparkle see you. Barn. There you go, brother.
Yeah, Co-Spark. <laughs> Co-Spark <Lauren. laughs> Yeah, so yeah. what is everybody, what, do you, what else do you want the listeners and the viewers to know about Stymie and where to get the record and all that? Jeff, you might have to fill in the blanks about where to get the record. Yeah, I mean, right now, <clears throat> I mean, uh, it's it's really just Bandcamp for the most part. Mm -hmm. I, there's some about to be delivered to some record stores around um, you know, this being such a hobby of ours, like <laughs> it's, I, I haven't really gotten on that super well, getting it all into all the record stores. But uh, we got shirts, we got records, and you can get them in Bandcamp underscore. And at the airport. Stymie. And something. at the airport. Oh, right. I should say, store. yeah. yeah. Uh, Sub Pop. Like, I just reached out and just thought maybe they'd want one or two for the store, and they bought a few, and they bought a few shirts, too. So um, big supporter, Sub Pop. Um, very cool. Uh, they they we still very supportive of young up and coming bands like us. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, no, anything else that we need to get across? Well, now that these guys are gone, like it's just our show, dude. Let's what do we want to say? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we really talk some much shit. The co core of the band, anyway. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, we kind of turn it into like Godhead <laughs> Silo, the Spinane. So there we go. What other two-piece bands are there? Uh, Lightning Bolt. Um, <laughs> Lightning Bolt. <No>. Um, <laughs> Japan Big Droid. Business. What? Big Japan. Business. Mm -hmm. I, I will say this uh, with Stymie is I never had a bad time. I mean, like, I don't remember ever not having fun with these guys. Like, honestly, yeah. like, I wouldn't yeah. have done it if I didn't just love them all so much. And I don't mean to be cheesy here, but... I think it's rare. I think you hear about, I mean, even uh, even Adam brought Aww. it up, which was kind of new to me. <laughs> Aw, sweetie. Um, <laughs> like, okay. there was some something in Fire Clown. Like, I don't really remember that exactly. But, like, I just don't, there was just never, aside, aside from, like, forgetting my guitar, you know, or not, or missing my girlfriend on tour, mm. I just had such a great time in this band. And I think that's what made it so fun and easy to do all this, you know, because it's kind of hard and it's kind of expensive. It's kind of, you know, it's just kind of like there's a lot to it to do this. Uh, but I, it's just so much fun and so such a great thing to do with these guys. I mean, especially Shane, James and I would go to OP and just talk about stymie and come up with all these ideas and stuff. And it's it's finally happening and it's pretty cool. Oh, I'm so happy yeah. for you guys. It's a, yeah, thanks, Claudia. I mean, it's really nice, I think, to have a document of mm -hmm. that era, you know? I mean, it's, I don't think we have any expectations beyond that, but now there's something tangible that uh, totally. represents this time we spent together, you know? And mm -hmm. as Jeff said, yeah, we all love playing in a band, love playing shows, love music, but I, I always thought of us as a group of friends more than a band, necessarily, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know that we had, had we made it, I think we would have been stoked, but... Um, that was never really the primary goal, yeah. you know? Like, I mean, in fact, if anything, we probably did countless things we shouldn't have done <laughs> or didn't do countless things we should have done. Right. But it was just that uh, that we enjoy spending time together, you know? So mm -hmm. there, was, there was never any sort of band infighting or, you know, sort of acrimony when people left the band. It was, wow. uh, yeah, it's just a group of buddies who, as Jeff said, really enjoyed spending time together. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, what a beautiful yeah. representation of your time together. It's such a gorgeous package. Um, stymie forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Clarity. It's great yeah. to see you. It's been so much fun. Yeah, so fun. super fun. 
Thank you for everything. Yeah. Talk to you guys soon. Okay. Talk. Okay. Bye bye. Take care. Bye.